Well, come on in to OSA Today, the podcast. We've got somewhere for you to sit over here. Lots going on. Second week of the fall championships. You know how excited everybody gets about this stuff. I'm Bob Akamian. Thanks for listening. If you take a look at the front page of OSA.org, you'll see another vast amount of stories written by our outstanding staff led by Jerry Ulmer as we've made it through the first weekend of football playoffs, cross-country championship weekend, volleyball championship weekend, soccer up now this weekend for their championships, and of course the football playoffs continuing. Lots to talk about today. We're going to get right to it coming up. Soccer is the sport that will hand out the big blue trophies this weekend at Hillsborough Stadium and also over at Liberty High School. Quadruple header action on Saturday at both sites. And if you were trying to keep a bracket on uh, any of these groups, you I, I will salute you if you got the finals correct because there's only one one versus two final out of all of our eight championship games. Well, two of the great stories in fall sports involve Mountainside High School from Beaverton, which is advancing in multiple sports, and the success of the PIL, particularly Southeast Portland, particularly Franklin High School. And those two schools feature prominently in the 6A finals. Franklin, the 14th seed in the boys' competition, has made it all the way to the final, and they had to beat their neighbors, the rivals from Cleveland High, 2-1 Two to one in overtime, packed house for that game. Take a look at Norm Maves' game story at OSA Live. He does a great job of painting that picture. So Franklin, which also won the cross country championship this past weekend, we'll hear more about that in a few minutes. Franklin meets eighth seed Summit for the 6A boys title. Summit, the runner up a year ago. Mountainside girls. Mountainside again has advanced all of their team sports in the fall postseason, and the girls' soccer team made it all the way to the final where they will face number one Jesuit, the uh, two time defending champion. Mountainside upset at number two seed South Eugene 2 0 in the semifinal. And you want to talk about uh, confused bracket. Take a look at 4A, the boys' final. Now it's a familiar name, but they were only the sixth seed. Woodburn. They have, of course, won three straight championships, two in 5A, and then last year as they moved to the 4A ranks, they're back in the championship again. They upset upset number two seed Valley Catholic in the semi, and they'll face the fifth seed Staten, who has done a great job of getting in the final. This will be their fourth uh, final in the last six years. Staten upset number one seed Marist, won nothing of a semi. On the girls' side, the Woodburn girls have made it. First time ever to the state championship for the Woodburn girls team. They're the ninth seed. They had defeated number one Gladstone in the quarterfinals, and they'll face the third seed Marist, who knocked off uh, the number two seed in the semifinals. So 4A, all sorts of uh, different looks in the championship. Now, what remains the same? Well, that's 3A, 2A, and 1A, because both the boys and girls final will feature the private school rivals from uh Southwest Portland, Oregon Episcopal, Catlin, Gable. It is the seventh straight year that one of those schools has advanced to the boys' championship. It's a rematch of last year's final. Catlin Gable won then 1-0. And in the girls' competition, it's the fifth straight time OES and Catlin Gable have met in the final. OES was the third seed this year, had a knockoff St. Mary's 1-0 to make the final. But OES has won the last four 
championships. And when those two schools get together in soccer, it's as big a rivalry as anything. Hillsboro, the place to be for championship soccer this Saturday. This is OSA Today, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app and RipCityRadio.com slash OSA Today. I am Bob Akamian. Welcome in November championship season rolling along, and that means football and lots of football. All the first-round playoff games last week, and of course with the first round, some mismatches, an incredible amount of offense and scoring all around the state. And as we get into the heart of football season, I promised you Jordan Johnson will be with us. He has tremendous depth of knowledge about uh, both the players, coaches, schemes, and stories all around the state of Oregon. And since we got through the first round of 6A football, that's where we start our discussion this week. Well, the OSA On Point Community Credit Union Football Championships have now moved into the second round. That means it's the round of 16 for the 6A schools and the quarterfinals for all other classifications. Jordan Johnson joining us now. You know him, of course, from his work at Oregonian Oregon Live, and he will be joining us on the brand new television production with MeTV, which is Xfinity Channel 302. We will have a weekly playoff game for the next two weeks in the 6A playoffs and the 6A semifinals, as well as the championship game. And we're going to start off with coverage of Tigard versus Mountainside, which is the one and 16 game. And Jay, you know, just looking in general at the brackets, uh, the, the seeding process has worked out pretty well now over the past several years where we have, um, you know, with the top teams spread across the bracket, you don't get that terrifying one versus two in the quarterfinals anymore. So the system is working. And so it's a little more exciting to maybe starting to look for that upset team early on in these brackets. Yeah, with regards to the the seeding, I mean, during the year you always kind of question that, like, whoa, where is this gonna this team gonna place if they're there, there, here, there, now? So point being is what you just said, um, it worked out. So you, you got you know you got Tiger on top, you got Twalton on the other side. Um, things look uh, exciting because you're gonna see um, what has been a, a competitive year, five six teams that are in the mix for a state title. Uh, in my opinion, and uh, if it plays out the way we think it could, uh, pretty exciting come quarters and semifinals time. And just looking at the matchups, I mean, these names together get you excited. Sherwood, West Lynn, West Salem, Lake Oswego, North Medford, Tualatin, Liberty, Jesuit, and that's just the round of 16. So let's let's pick on a couple of games right now, and we're going to start with our TV game this week because we're biased and we know everything about these teams, or we think we do. And this is Mountainside at Tiger, and you're saying Mountainside? Yeah, second-year program, but talent-rich Murray Hill area. And, of course, Coach Mannion, who had all that great success at Silverton, he plops in, puts in his system, and Mountainside is a very efficient football team. One of the fastest-rising programs, not just in Oregon, but all of the Northwest, the numbers are incredible. I mean, that's one thing as a state where they have not been such as that we're talking about a you know 20 30 percent decrease mountainside uh from the youth on up it has got dudes and a very young team a guy's uh, a bunch of juniors the guys you're going to see next year coach Mannion did his thing uh at silverton and has taken uh taken taking the reins over it at, at mountainside so i really really like this mountainside program uh i live in the community so 
know the kids pretty well, but you've got the state's interception leader, Andrew Simpson, among the juniors. Coach Mannion's son uh, playing QB right now, throwing the ball very, very well, multi-touchdown multi, uh, passes games the last couple games. And uh, a bunch of good kids, EJ Broussard, the junior running back, um, Jonte Allen, uh, one of the state sack leaders uh, coming off the edge. So a bunch of kids you're going to hear a lot about in the years to come as well. And, of course, they have to play Tiger. It's the 116, but Mountainside has really slowed everyone down this year, even the games they've lost. You know, they obviously the opener with Jesuit, 28-3. That doesn't look as competitive, but that's your first game of the season. But uh, they played with everybody in the Metro League. I would think they're not that afraid of Tiger. No, I mean, their defense, you can look at the numbers. They've, they've stopped people. If you don't allow points, you have a good chance to win. So I think they feel good about that D. That being said, this Tigered offense is explosive. The speed, you can't teach speed, and these kids fly. The TRL, hands down, the toughest league in the state, uh, they haven't had, other than Twaltz, in a real close game. They have beat people handily. And so I think it'll be really interesting considering the schedule they played, high-octane uh, high type games, crowds filled, a lot of excitement. What Mountainside, how they're able to counter that. Because I think Tigers, you know, they're senior deep, uh, veteran, a lot of veterans and dudes that have been there uh, throughout the last couple seasons. And, of course, the winner of that game takes on the winner of Barlow and Sheldon. Big breakout year for Barlow. They get the uh, ninth seed, and, of course, they're playing in the Mount Hood where you have to deal with Central Catholic and Clackamas. And Sheldon, which did not have a uh, gaudy record at all, but they probably played the toughest schedule in the state of Oregon this year because they included Graham Kapowson, which is a powerful playoff team from up in Washington, and uh, had to replace some people early on. But uh, I would not bet against to Josh Line team on any given night. No, and Griffin Line has has played outstanding at QB. It's not the typical season you see from Sheldon, but they're another guy, another group that's that's very young. Carter Newman, 6'4", 210, coming off the edge. Shane Schwake, 6'8", 265. Both of them juniors. Both will be returning next year. A really, really, really good junior group at Sheldon. Um, I like them in this contest. Barlow got blasted by 40 uh, against Central Catholic a few weeks ago. They have a relatively good record, but once again, you have to take into account Count that competition. So I like Sheldon here. That being said, it's not the traditional Sheldon team that you see year in and year out. So we'll see, but I'll, uh, I'll give the nod to the Irish. And then the other half of the top bracket is full of league winners or near winners. Sherwood plays West Lynn, and the winner of that gets the winner of Newburgh, Central Catholic. Central has already played both West Lynn and Sherwood this year, so there's some elite competition. And you look at the younger teams, uh, Sherwood, which is actually quite deep, has a lot of great team speed, playing a West Lynn team that was young, lost to Central in the opener, but Chris Miller in the goodbye year, I'm sure he's got players playing for him. And they always talk about the young guys. They're not young guys by the time they get to week 10. So, yeah, uh, West Lynn, I've got potentially winning this whole thing. I think a lot of Chris Miller and his group. They have an offensive and defensive line. Very few people these days can say they got both, and they do. And they had that young group of juniors that's been very successful uh, throughout from youth on up. So when they started out that first uh, touchdown loss to Central Catholic to start the season, that is a completely different team that you're going to see now. They beat Sherwood by 30 earlier in the year, uh, not to take anything away from the Sherwood program, who I had ranked seven. Uh, in my top 10 to end the year. So I think a lot of Sherwood year in and year out. But West Lynn, in my opinion, if they play like they can, they got as a good a shot as anybody to win this thing. 
And again, we saw an opening night. Westland got pushed around by Central Catholic. I think of all of Steve Pine's teams, you always think of the, the Flying Circus. This is a pretty physical team. They can run the football, and I, I really like their defense. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to take into account um, the fact that you got 35 seniors on that central that central group. You've got a Stanford commit, a Montana State commit, a bunch of first and second team All-State returners. The experience, once again, is something you can't teach. I think for Central, it's going to come down to line play. You saw Jesuit really expose Central up front. And if, if, you, if you don't have that against a Westland or, or what have you, you're going to be in some trouble. So I w- I'll be really interested to see some of the changes, some of the, you know, some of the um, things that they do, because that's something, once again, you either got linemen or you don't, and that's the big question mark. Bottom half of the 6A bracket, Lake Oswego, the defending champs, fought through injuries all season long, and they're still the third seed. And again, that's based on the strength of the Three Rivers League. They lost to the champion, Tigard, in the regular season. But Steve Corey's, you know, obviously one of the best coaches around. And what he does when he doesn't have superstars, LO is just fine. Yeah, uh, Thomas Descartes, uh, the only kid that was first-team All-State on both sides of the football last year, essentially missed the whole season. He's back. That's a big deal. Uh, Casey Filkins, I mean, one of the best players ever to come out of the state of Oregon, the returning 6A Offensive Player of the Year. He's gone for 80 touchdowns in his career. Um, he's a guy that you, they're going to put all their focus. They're going to make someone else other than Casey Filkins beat them. And the big thing for Lake Oswego, they do not have the defense they did last year. Last year's defense was exceptional during that 14-0 state title run. So I think it's going to come down to how can they adjust, how can they make up for the uh, the Tualatin and Tiger game where they got beat up and, and, and they did they didn't look good. So Lake Oswego is Lake Oswego. They got as good a shot as anybody, but I think the D needs to come to play. And Lake Oswego will be hosting West Salem, who lost the Battle of the Valley to McNary, but upset Sunset when really one of the surprises of the first round because Sunset certainly had a lot going for him. So West Salem, Coach Stanley comes in with a little momentum. Glad you brought up Sean Stanley, one of the best coaches in the history of of Oregon. I, I can't say enough good things about uh, Coach Stanley, similar to you know Coach Chris Miller. Sean Stanley has his guys ready to go. Uh, Jackson Lowry, the junior quarterback, a host of younger guys um, up front and elsewhere. West Salem did a really good job going into Sunset, and Sunset's only losses were to Tiger and Twalton um, outside of conference, and you know they they played really well, other than Beaverton, excuse me. But they they have uh, they accelerate come playoff time. Uh, Sean Stanley really knows how to turn it up, and uh, they've done a good job. And the winner of that game plays the winner of Lake Ridge at Aloha. Aloha, another great turnaround story under Coach Volk in the last couple of years. And Lake Ridge, an exciting young team. Record doesn't show it, but a lot of dynamism on the field and the ability. They've got their big play guy who can score from anywhere. Yeah, Jalen John, the Arizona commit. I mean, they were four and six. They're four and six on the year right now, but this is one of the, the best four and six teams in America. Let me tell you, they got dudes on both sides of the football, a bunch of all conference kids. They got three or four four-year starters, and uh, it's a team that's dangerous. In fact, I'll take I'll take Lake Ridge to actually win this, and uh, that's a 22 versus a 6, uh, and that's no disrespect to Aloha. I, I, they've had a phenomenal year, a lot of credit to Coach Volk. I just think uh, the momentum right now, give the ball to Jalen John, let him, let him do his thing. I think they're going to be tough to beat. 
And again, Three Rivers League team, just like L.O., Tigard, Westland, Tualatin. Okay, Tualatin's bottom of the bracket. They appear to be headed, I'm I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody with this, but they appear to be headed for a showdown with Jesuit in the quarterfinals. Tualatin hosts North Medford, Jesuit hosting Liberty. And these are, of course, a couple of titans that uh, really play pretty simple football, but they're really good at it. Yeah, so North Medford was without uh, one of the state's two leading rushers, Devin Brad, last week. The junior tailback, he did not play. They squeaked out that win against Reynolds in overtime. Jet Carpenter, the uh, player of the year in the Southwestern Conference, eight catches, 123 yards, and a couple scores uh, at tight end slash receiver for North Medford. He's a guy that they're going to need to stop. But Tualatin, if they're going to make a run and they're going to win a state title, it's going to be this year. Luke, Marion, John Miller, the dudes that they got uh, um, are, are Kainoa Sayer. That This is the group that is going to either win or is going to win a state title this year or it, it's not going to be for a couple seasons because this is the crew that they've had, um, you know, that they've been talking about, and, and they're legit. We saw them play uh, a 23-21 game against Tigard where that could have gone either way. Um, I'll, I'll take Twalton in this one. Now, North Medford scored 55 against Reynolds, and now we have Liberty playing uh, Jesuit. Liberty put up 52 against Grant. I know that's the first-round game, but if you're not a high-scoring team, should we be concerned about a team that's scoring 50 points a game? You know, I think uh, – Yeah, well, well, that's a great question. So the PIL um, is down, to say the least. And I think Liberty, that's very indicative of the 101 points that were scored in that football game. Um, I have, you know, I think Grant, Grant played a good season, but I, I don't, I don't have either one in the top 15. So I think, you know, we're, we're definitely maybe getting a little bit ahead, but that Jesuit Twalton matchup is what it's looking like. Um, I don't see anything help, uh, anything else happening other than that. Jordan Johnson talking bracketology in the second round of the OSAA On Point Community Credit Union Football State Championships. You can tell we like to go deep on the 6A, but there are five other brackets to talk about. So let's pick out a story from each as we get to the quarterfinals. Now, all year long, we've been talking about the inevitable matchup in 5A of Thurston and Crater. They have both advanced, although Thurston is hosting a Wilsonville team that's gotten better and better. They got blown out by Crater early and have rallied tremendously crater is going to take on park rose which is becoming the darling of everybody in the state they get their first playoff one and of course keenan Lowe, already quite the celebrity but also great pedigree from uh, jesuit and the university of oregon so park rose and wilsonville looking to play spoiler but again looking at thurston defending champs crater which has been incredibly dominant it, it looks like those two are heading towards a championship matchup yeah i just i don't see really uh it's going to be tough to hang with Thurston. We're talking about a team that beat up Sheldon. Uh, that never happens, to put that in kind of context. They have Keenan O'Donnell, 6'5", 300, the junior lineman. Grant Start, 6'5", 280, the senior committed to Nevada. Coach Justin Stark has done a phenomenal job bringing this group up. They are deep with freshmen, sophomores. They got kids everywhere. So Thurston is the overwhelming favorite, but – uh, I do like Crater. I think it was a great, great call on your point. Uh, or, or, they, they, they've got dudes as well. They've, they've played uh, some teams that you think that would have probably kept the games close traditionally over the past years, and Crater has uh, blown the doors off. So I, uh, I really do like both Thurston and Crater as clear-cut favorites um, in this 5A bracket. And all of those 5A games are Friday night games. Now, for a little Saturday action, you got to dip into the 4A bracket. 
But again, two big-time teams looking to meet again in the final Banks. You would have thought Banks. They graduate three stud multi-sport uh, athletes, particularly the quarterback, uh, Vandehey, and, of course, another one of the Markham kids. Uh, they went to the Shrine game, dominated that game as well for the West, and yet Banks has come right back. They have so much tradition on that team. And, of course, Coach Lenahan, great pedigree himself. They've got a lot going on there, and Banks is number one and will host uh, Baker in one of the quarterfinal games. Uh, and it's hard to believe anybody's going to slow them down, but they're going to have to get past Marist and Frank Geske's always innovative offense if they both make it to the semi. Yeah, um, for anyone that pays attention, Coach Geske's been around for a long time. He's uh, won a lot of football games, smart, smart uh, coach, and, and he's always got his team in the mix. I uh, Banks, you know, Banks speaks for itself. I like Gladstone. I like Gladstone. I like J.J. Uh, Jedrakowski. Uh He's, uh, I, I think that group in general, they are super deep. Uh, they have they have a bunch of talented seniors. They've got size. So I think I'm really intrigued by this 4A bracket. Uh, Banks did their thing last year. They lost a ton of ton of kids, as you referenced. But I could foresee a Banks-Gladstone uh, state title game and rematch uh, from earlier in the season. And, of course, Gladstone got I had, did their semifinal game last year and it ended up being Seaside advancing to play Banks in the final. But Gladstone, I mean, they really felt like it was their year last year. And so with so many guys back, they have probably the best match or the most intriguing game in the quarterfinals. They're going they're seated uh, number six, and they're going to take on number three, LeGrand. Now, Eastside team, don't get to see much of them, but LeGrand's got a lot of buzz going on. And the game is there over the hill. That's a long, uh, long bus ride, and 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 it's a huge advantage. Everyone, uh, everyone's going to be out in the Grand. They're going to shut that town down. They do a really good job. A lot of credit. What's tough is when you look at that schedule and who they've played. There's there's a lot of question marks, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's just where they're at. There's a lot of teams that they're they aren't necessarily power. So when it comes to this three versus six uh, versus a Gladstone who's been tested week in and week out, it, it comes down to. Who have you seen and what are you going to do about it? So for me, I foresee this being a close game that Gladstone sweeks out. And, of course, they will get to play on turf and get the field that's been redone at Community Stadium at Eastern Oregon University. So great service for that. But it's interesting. It's a Friday night game. Gladstone's going to make that drive and play on Friday night. So that'll be a challenge. And then a quick dash through the other two brackets in a 2A. Uh, number one, Kennedy uh, is playing Oakland. Kennedy, a strong favorite to meet Coquille. They're the one and two, but a lot of tradition on the bottom half of the 2A bracket with Hepner, which is in postseason every year. And then in 1A, we're waiting to see what sorts out St. Paul, which is just a tremendous program. You know, you don't see too many 1A programs that go up to 2A, continue to have success. Now they've come back down to 1A, and of course they're dominant there. And they have a 2 a size roster. They're playing eight-man football with almost 30 guys. So they've been number one all year, very dominant. And on the other side of that bracket, and this is a team, again, nobody gets to see Adrian, which is combined with Jordan Valley from way out in southeast Oregon. But the common thread is both of these teams – beat Doofer, the defending champ, the, of course, all-time power of 1A. They both put 60 points up on Doofer early in the year. Now, Doofer, complete rebuild, plus they lost their best running back. Asa Farrell, fastest 1A kid of a state spreader, been injured all year long. Doofer's still in the bracket, so you never know what's going to happen there. But uh, Eight Man also has one of those 1-2 showdowns coming. But the 10-time uh, champions from Doofer may have something 
to say about it. Okay, this round, just talk about playoff football in general. What do you know now? Everyone's played a game, may not have been a competitive game, but as a coach, what are you still trying to find out in the second round of the playoffs? Well, I mean, if you're a if you're a TRL team, for example, you've been tested. You played a season full of competitive games with the stands being filled, a lot of excitement. It, it's a huge advantage. And so when you're a team that's uh, not necessarily from the best conference and you're going to go into a matchup where you've never seen uh, you know, a crowd where you can't really hear, or um, it's 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 intense, man. So it's kind of how are you able to adjust? How are you able to step up on a big stage, especially if you're a young team, if you don't have a ton of experience, if you're traveling, if you're driving five hours, whatever it is. It's those guys that that's going to be the difference. I mean, talent's talent. If you're um, not as good, you're not as good. But you got to step up. This is the playoff. Loser go home. So that's what makes this so interesting and fun. A lot of these guys, you're you know you're your career, your high school career, you're not going to play football again. And that means a lot to a lot of people. So uh, you're definitely get everyone's best effort. And uh, it makes it a lot of fun. A lot of these guys, Mountainside Tiger, for example, both of these programs know each other. They're in the same community. So uh, definitely looking forward to our game here on Friday. There is a reason we have Doug Bender writing about track and field and cross country at OSA today. It's because he's one of the most knowledgeable national experts in high school track and cross country. And we have him right here in Oregon, which is a real treat. If you heard Doug last week, he uh, foreshadowed quite a bit of what actually happened at Lane Community College back on Saturday. And the first story was the changing of the course. And I know it sounds a little whimsical to say, oh, they're getting rid of Poison Oak Alley. And, you know, cross-country courses have all sorts of little identifying names for portions of the course. So what happened was, was a kind of a box-like area at the east end of Lane Community College, which was a very narrow path through some bushes and shrubs, maybe having some poison oak, maybe not, but that's the tradition. Well, that was eliminated because that's not part of the Lane Community College athletic property anymore. So the course was extended and some extra space was added around the west side, around the the, uh, catch ponds that everyone's familiar with the races running around. Well, Bill Steyer, who is the coach at Lane Community College and is a stickler for these things, went out, remeasured the course, and swears it was exactly 5,000 meters. Other cross-country coaches were invited to come, measure it out themselves using the GPS watch. Everybody agreed this is a 5,000-meter course. So for whatever reason, maybe it was the dry conditions, nobody having to slow down, be a little careful through a muddy surface, which certainly has happened at this event before, but the times were insane. The records fell big time in uh, many of the age groups, but most notably in uh, the 5A boys and the 6A girls. This biggest story of the meet was E.J. Holland of Ashland, who may be the best cross-country runner in America right now in the high school age group, destroyed the 5,000-meter arc with a time of 1430, leading Ashland to the state championship. And afterward, he talked to Doug about it. Yeah, you know, it's great. Um, and I, I couldn't have asked for a better group of guys to do it with. You know, uh, we, uh, yeah, 26 years is a long time. And, uh, you know, this is hands down the best squad our school's ever had. And, and uh, you know, awesome guys to do it with. And, you know, to be, to, to be able to just train with, you know, in the off season and, you know, in season to race with. And, you know, yeah, I couldn't ask for a better group of guys. You know, I couldn't do it without them either. So. Yeah. 
you've obviously been working on your own thing, you know, to try and compete for a national championship, and and uh, what you did today obviously was historic. But you're holding this trophy right here, you know. How, how big of a of a of the thrill of the day is is that trophy and these guys? Yeah, you know, um, winning an individual title is awesome. Winning a team title is a hundred times better. Uh, it means so much more. Just you know, having to overcome so many different uh, individual tasks to win a, you know, a team title and, and you know, uh, all the guys just have to work really hard and work together really time. well um, and it's just it's so special it's so great um, you know, as a freshman um, our athletic director you know, had told me you know, we sat down we set a goal with you know, not only individual titles but uh, a state title you know, as a team as well and, and so it's so awesome you know, it's your last chance uh, and we got to do that so that was the fastest boys' time ever, 14 minutes, 30 seconds for 5,000 meters. Fastest Oregon time ever at 5,000 meters. Well, girls 6A, same story, another dominating team, Summit, who's, of course, the national NXN champions in cross-country, and Fiona Max expected to lead the way. Well, she did that. Summit won another state championship. They have won every state championship in all 12 years they've been competitive in cross country and Fiona Max 1651 that's now the fastest girls 5k time in Oregon history often honestly I think it's also mental like it just came down to every day having that reassurance by my team and my coaches and it's like all about that reassurance between each other and that's what builds the the layers of speed throughout the season is yeah. that constant reassurance so I think that's what created that today did you have a did you know that times are generally a little kind of fast today maybe it's the perfect conditions maybe it's the hard ground maybe it's whatever the, the, yeah. a little bit of a change in the course and all that but did yeah. you feel like hey today's going to be super ripping fast um yeah i did um it was really inspiring to hear about the um runner from sisters oregon who, yeah. you know she just went out there did her thing and came away with a really impressive time so we saw that and all of us were like whoo like, yeah. like she she's out there doing it, and like we had this opportunity too. So I think we went in it to knowing it could be a PR day, and hearing from other teams like, oh yeah, that went really well. So yeah, I think it is a little bit of a confidence booster. The whole record-setting business started in the 4A girls race when a freshman from Sisters, Ella Thorsett, reset that record, 17:43.7. She won a race by 22 seconds and destroyed her own PR. There are also a couple of great team milestones in the meet. 
We talked about Franklin. In fact, remember at the end of the show last week, Doug did not want us to forget to mention Charlie Robertson and Aiden Palmer as uh, two runners from Franklin of Portland who could go 1-2. And the question was, well, just by finishing 1-2, are they going to win a championship uh, against very deep teams like Jesuit? Well, you know what? They got it done. Palmer, 15.049. Robertson, 15.066. It was the first state championship in any sport for Franklin since 1959. I mean, we knew what we needed to do. We believed that we had just as good of a chance as anybody else out there, and we believed that we could be the team today if we chose to be the team today, and we chose to be the team today, and we executed. You and Aiden running up there in front with Quincy Norman, what was the race up front like? Well, I didn't actually see Quincy Norman. Uh, I mean, I knew he was there with like a K to go. I saw that he was there, but really I saw Ryan Schumacher was there. I was mm-hmm. surprised to see him up there, and I knew, of course, like that motivated me a lot to see him there because I knew I wanted to be him. Um, and then once we got on the track, I knew it was just going to be me and Aiden, so we really fought to get across that line. Um, you know, we knew we just wanted to hit the track hard. Uh, you know, talking to our coach uh, yesterday before the race, that's where uh, that's where you win state championships is on the track in that last, you know, 300 meters when there's runners all around you and you're trying to pick off, uh, you know, the guy ahead of you because every every, every man counts yeah. and every place counts. Uh, we did just that today, so I couldn't be happier. First PIL team to win a cross-country championship since Wilson did it in 1983. All right, so there was a long drought there, but for a program of tradition, how about a newer program winning its first ever state championship in any sports? St. Stephen's Academy of Beaverton, who's been making noise in track and field the last couple of years, led by Seth Bergeron. Well, Bergeron won the cross-country championship in the combined 2A-1A race for boys, 1550.5. And he talked with Doug Bender about how St. Stephen's built their culture and turned it into the school's first ever team championship. Culture is something that I don't think we've really had until the last two or three years, and it's something we've worked really hard on. It's, um, you know, it, it really is a team sport, and, and you don't score well unless you unless you work together as a team. You know, something we've just started to realize is it's about pushing each other, you know, running with each other in practice, um, running each other uh, with each other in the race, right? That you, it, you push each other better when, when you run together. That's something we've really found to be um, a, a big driving force in, in our success. Again, big thumbs up for St. Stephen's. School opened in 2008, and now they have their first big blue trophy. You can read more about the cross-country championships. Doug Bender has summaries of the girls' and the boys' championships on OSAA Today. This is OSA Today, the podcast. Thanks for coming in. Baba came in along with you. Hey, are you tired of this music already that we're using? I know I am too, but you know, it's a podcast. Only have so much of a budget for tunes like this. What we can do, though, is play music you send to us. What about your fight song? Are you proud of your fight song? Are you proud of how your band plays the fight song? How your choir sings the fight song? How your acapella singers sing it? Do you have somebody rapping the fight song? Whatever it is, we'd love to put it on this podcast. So think about getting it down on an MP3 and sending it to us at OSA Today. And we'll start using that as our in-between music, or as we say in the business, bump music. We'll have details soon of how you can submit. We'll pick the best. Actually, we'll probably play all of them. 
The volleyball season ended this past weekend with championship matches on Saturday at three different locations. You can watch all of those matches again at the NFHS website. Just uh, click into the Oregon Championships. And, of course, Jerry Omer has great write-ups at OSAA today. The 6A final matched up longtime rivals, Jesuit Central Catholic. You've heard that song before. And it went five sets. And it was 15-13, Jesuit winning uh, capping a great season where they had to fight through all kinds of injuries. So a great story there. But the other big story, really, for the whole state in volleyball is the end of the 44-year career of Central Catholic coach Rick Lawrence. He actually started at St. Mary's, did a brief stint at Lake Oswego, and, of course, very well known for what he's done at Central Catholic. 24 state championship appearances, 11 state titles, and this week, he stepped back a little bit to reflect on that great career. Well, you never know how it's going to end, but uh, Rick Lorenz's career has come to an end as a high school head coach, although certainly not the end of volleyball. And it all happened in the 6A state championship match. And uh, some say that was inevitable, the Jesuit Central Catholic showdown. But in any case, to finish on Saturday night of a state tournament, I mean, you knew it was going to be that kind of night. It was going to be something on that night. I sure did, Bob. I, I watched uh, the tail end of that Westland uh, Jesuit match, and Westland was up on the fifth game, and Jesuit made a great comeback to get to the finals. And I said, well, that's fitting. We've been rivals for so many years, the Rams and the Crusaders, so let's get after it. And I knew it was going to be a close match because we had squared off early in the year, and they had beaten us in three, 21-19 in the third. So I knew we were evenly matched, and, and that sure turned out uh, to be the truth. But, uh, yeah, it's been a great run, and uh, 44 years, and uh, to get back to the finals was special. Uh, so uh, I was really proud of the kids and our win over Canby in the semifinals. We had to come back from a, a game down with 2-1, to one, and then we tied, won the fourth, and and uh, squeaked out the fifth game victory. So it was nice to get to the finals. And, and to do this for so long and, and from a time, and, you know, Jerry Olmer had that piece on you last week on OSA Today. I mean, you came in with basketball background and, you know, considering then, could, could, you, have, could you have walked into St. Mary's today with the same credentials and become their volleyball coach? Probably not. <laughs> the sport has grown so much and it's changed a lot. And um, I just happened to land in the right spot at the right time. Uh, and uh, I, knew, I knew how the game was played, but I'd never had access to ever play volleyball, not back in those days. And uh, so it was, it was a, a gift. And when I met the team and I had 10 seniors with uh, Anna Maria Lopez and Mo Clifford, I met with them, and they were the Oregon's two first two parade All-American basketball players. So I knew I had a pretty special group. And uh, they had struggled. They had been beaten, I know, the year before in the finals or in the semifinals, I guess, by Beaverton. And the girls said, well, we're going to win it this year. And I said, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> And we did. You didn't have to motivate them at all at the beginning. <laughs> no, they were motivated. They needed a little conditioning, uh, and they taught me the drills. I spent the summer with Marlene Piper at Portland State to learn to see high school girls play because I'd never seen that before. 
So it was uh, the first championship. It was a learning, a learning lesson. The second year with Anna Maria back and a very good setter, Monica Stack, we won it again over a highly favored Estacada team. And uh, that year we took a bunch of sophomores and first year varsity kids and uh, behind Anna Maria and Monica won. So then I'm really spoiled. So then I started my club, Blues Volleyball Club, and uh, that second year, and we were—I think our motto became: we always want to be in the hunt. We may not always have the best team, but if we're in the top three or four, we got a shot, and that kind of held true for many, many. Well, I'll, I can't really think of a year when we really weren't in the top ten uh, in that stretch, and usually in the top five. So that was, so there were, I was blessed with a good staff. I picked a good staff that Malcolm Doyle with me over 40 years, Joe Ravelli over 25 years, Julie Taylor 23 years, uh, John Downey 10 years, Charlie Rosa 11 years. So I've always had consistency in the program and that's been a real bonus for me because it's, to be honest, that I, I would never have seen myself going 44 years if it weren't for the staff that I put around me. Because you can't, now there's three head coaches on our varsity. Kayla's a, good enough to be a head coach. She will take over. Malcolm's been a head coach. And there's just so much to do now that it's overwhelming. Uh, if I, I was sitting with Jared Johnson, a new coach at Centennial, at our awards deal, and he said, I am so burned out. I said, Jared, you got to get a couple of assistant coaches to help you with all that stuff, you know. And, and I'm sure the big thing that's changed, and, and you mentioned starting a club at St. Mary's, you know, club volleyball was very new and not nearly as involved in the 70s. Now, in many ways, it runs the sport at the high school level. That, that's obviously the big change you've seen. Right. Uh, the club thing now, it, it overlaps with the fall, and I'm not happy about that. It's pretty much open recruiting. You can run open gyms all fall if you're some of the bigger clubs. And what it's always been important to me is the club always supported the fall, the school. And now that's not necessarily true. The, you know, there's a lot of club overlap in the fall. Kids can get hurt in the open gyms, you know, and then that affects your fall program. So I'm not necessarily real happy with that, uh, but I think the club program has allowed the sport to certainly grow. And, I mean, there are – this is the first year I can remember when there were 10 or 12 teams that could have won the state title. That's how the parity has changed, and a lot of that is just due to club, the extensive club, uh, the kids that are playing club, and the clubs are better, there's more clubs. So it's been good for the sport. It hasn't always been a, a favor, I don't think, to the OSAA, but um, there's pros and cons both sides, and I'm a club coach or club director and but we only mainly focus on the, the younger kids the 14s and the 12s we don't really care to coach the high school kids because there's too much travel the cost is too high and so we let the bigger clubs take our kids and train them in the off season and that's good for them because then they get a different view of how to be coached and that type of thing 
So you have this run at St. Mary's, you, and part of having Anne-Marie Lopez, you probably had the best high school athlete ever in the state of Oregon, boy or girl. So that's a good run. You end up at Central Catholic, though, in the 90s, and again, the club situation, you, you don't have a setup here. It's, uh, it's out in Gresham at the right. time where Gresham, Barlow were so dominant. So how did you build this program? What needed to be done here? Well, we, ran, we started Rose City Volleyball Club, and we've always been – uh, we've always had this vision that we don't want to steal kids from our basketball program here. We want to support our programs here. And uh, in the beginning, when we started the club program, we picked those kids up after basketball if they didn't play a spring sport. Well, and then it got bigger and bigger. But in the 90s, Gresham and Barlow dominated, and even in there was Centennial some years. Well, it was, uh, we didn't have the 32-team tournament. So Jim Kirby, a coach at Barlow, and I started to petition the OSA for 32 now, meaning that let's get a 32-team volleyball tournament. If football has a 32-team football, there's no comparable girls program there. And fortunately, the OSA agreed, and they gave us that 32-team tournament because we would always finish in the top 10, but we could never get to state in that early part of the 90s. And once we started 32 now, then we had a chance to qualify to get in, and then we started to get in. So that that was a big change, and I applaud the OSAA for doing that. Uh, it was, an, it was a, kind of a Title IX issue. If the boys have it, why can't we have it, even though? Because we don't have football, and they don't have volleyball. Let's make them kind of equal. And that worked. Um, and so from then on, then with our club and so on, we were able to um, compete with those teams. And we finally won our first title in 97. And then we won in 2000. And then it took us a while to get – we were always finishing second. We finished second 13 times. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I, I became known as the, the – uh, Marv Levy of the <laughs> volleyball set, Marv Levy, the Buffalo Bills coach who got his team to the Super Bowl four times and never won. Uh, and I was a Buffalo Bills fan. So uh, Kirby and Carl Newberg would give me these football cards of Marv Levy to carry with me just to remind me. <laughs> and that, that was my West Lynn contingent. And, and uh, so it was, it was uh, had a, but the camaraderie between the coaches, Bob has been really, it's been really great. I mean, there we. I enjoy playing Teresa and Jesuit, and and I've enjoyed playing Carl Newberg when he was at Westland and Kirby at Barlow and Rod Jones at Gresham. We always got along really well, and we always were very respectful of each other's programs. And um, when Judy Lovery had her run with Corvallis in the '80s, wow, Lorena Lorena Woods was the you know, the first Afro-American gal I remember who really dominated. I mean, she was, was a stud uh, athlete. Well, we're lucky enough to have Mia Starr on our team this year as a freshman. So uh, it's great to catch up with Lorena. Um, so it's been, it's, yeah, a lot of change. Uh, the kids now are not like the kids back in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. You know, they, uh, they have more distractions. They have more stresses. Um, and that, that makes it a little tougher to coach. But uh, the athleticism is still there. 
but it's just there's a lot more going on in their lives that they have to deal with. So, um, you know, we're very aware of that. I was kind of getting there with the, the mental aspect because there's so much physical excellence in this sport, and yet you can do so many good things, but you don't win. You don't succeed because of those little differences. And you, and you really watch a match, and you go back to three or four long rallies or a side out you didn't want to allow. You get out of rotation. And so as hard as you work, as talented as you can be, I mean, this sport can break your heart quickly and abruptly. And I think that's where we were pretty much at. We were um, out of sync, uh, you know, uh, offensively most of the night, and that we were disrupted by, I thought uh, the Jesuits served the ball very tough, and our serve receive wasn't quite as sharp as it should have been, and so we were out of system a lot. And when you're out of system, you're giving the other team a chance to come back and run their system. So, and I think that's... That was an area that we saw that we really didn't uh, function as well as we would have liked to, and that might have been the diff- two-point difference, you know, <laughs> looking back. But Now, when you look back, though, at the whole thing, I mean, I'm sure you think more about, I mean, the trophies are great, and you, you had some outstanding teams, but, you know, there's got to be the moments of that, that wacky trip, uh, the club oh. experience, the, the yeah. meal or something. I, I would guess those things stick with you as oh, much yeah. as anything. In fact, in, when I had my send-off a week ago today or yesterday or tomorrow, last Wednesday, uh, Laura Yeager, our AD, brought back about seven or eight girls from 70s, 80s, 90s. And it was they did a great job of speaking about uh, how it was then, and it was kind of a semi-roast. And uh, I had the last, I had the chance to go back after they were all done and speak last and go down and say, well, let me tell you a story about Anna Maria Lopez. Let me tell you a story about Mo Clifford. Let me tell you a story about Melissa Wisensey, about Irio Bettendorf. And I, I kind of got the last roast on them. So it was really a fun time. And it was uh, 10 times better than I thought it would be. And Laura did a great job. But those are the memories. And I told the kids, I said, hey, right after we lost, we huddled. And I just said, you know, we didn't get our A game going, but we sure competed well. Uh, technically, we were at maybe a C plus or B minus. But effort-wise, you gave it a great effort. I mean, in that, and these kids will have our awards thing tomorrow. And uh, we'll finish up the year real positive. And I have some funny things I always tell kind of some of the funny things that happened to the kids during the year. I mean, everybody knows their first team or second team or honorable mention, but it's the funny stories. You're right, Bob. Those are the things that make it really, uh, that live with, that stay with you. And I can remember funny things from 1976 when Anna Maria was there. Mm-hmm. And we, in those days, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> You know, the girl, the St. Mary's was all girls, and it was just a different place. It was a fun place, but after about 11 years, I knew I had to get across the river and get to a co-ed school. <laughs> but I grew up with six sisters, so I, I kind of had a good um, idea what I was getting into at St. Mary's. So. so now your life is stained glass. You have one class of stained glass, 
club coaching is that is that a, is that going to be enough? Well, that's not enough. I play golf with a group of uh, ex coaches and dads of kids I've taught, but it's hard in the winter. I'm kind of a warm weather golfer, fair weather golfer, but uh, I do have a lot of interests. I'm I have a huge baseball card collection that I'm kind of I'm going to be probably selling in the next year, so I'm getting that organized. I'm trying to clean out my basement and my garage so I can downsize my two boys. Uh, Luke's at Oswego Lake Country Club and Jamie's up in Bellevue working. And and uh, so I, I see them. I go to Seattle quite often uh, to see family. I've got all my brothers and sisters uh, living up there, and that's nine, and all their kids. And so I go up like Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, summer. And so I've, I've, uh, I got plenty to do. Um, uh, I'll, I'll come to, I'm only five minutes from central. So I'll be coming to the volleyball games when they play, you know, the good, the big rivals and I'll be around if Kayla needs anything, I'll be there. Uh, that's why I kind of want to stay at the school a couple more years. And I mean, it's not too stressful teaching stained glass. So, um, it's a great part-time job and, yeah, it's been a great run. I've met a lot of good people. I've got a lot of friends. And win or lose, you just try to compete and do the best you can. And certainly with 13 second place finishes, I am not, I'm, I am not sad about that at all. We won some we should have, and we lost some we shouldn't have. But the bottom line is, I think we just we were in the hunt, and we played good enough to get there and we may not have crossed over the mountain but we got darn close to the top and uh and i i just think that uh, uh we've had a lot of fun along the way and if we didn't i wouldn't have still been doing it so well i hope that's enough osa content for you this week that's what it's like during championship season and you know what we're less than a week away from the start of winter sports yes we're gonna have to start talking basketball wrestling swimming dance and drill that's all to come in the weeks to come here at osa today hey thanks for everybody who chips in i just kind of round this all up for this podcast but jerry omer john tawa Doug Bender, great contributors, all of you who submit content, participate in all of our polls. And remember, our music contributors, I'm waiting for those fight songs. I'm Bob Akamian. Thanks for listening. This is OSA Today, the podcast. <laughs>